Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, where you'll learn everything you need to know to buy the perfect dental practice, all for free, and all in less than 20 minutes an episode. Learn more about your host, author, presenter, and coach to hundreds of successful dental practice buyers by visiting brianhanks.com. Welcome to the Practice Purchase Podcast, Season 1, Episode 11. We're talking about when to submit an LOI and two common pitfalls to avoid when doing so. Let's start by defining what is an LOI. LOI is simply an acronym. just stands for a letter of intent. And all an LOI really is, a letter of intent, is it's a legally non-binding offer. It's really just a sheet of paper with two signatures on it that says, I want to pay you X for your practice. It says, hey, I'm a serious buyer. I've thought about this. And it implies that I have talked with banks and I can pay you. <laughs> so a letter of intent, while nothing, nothing official, serves a very important purpose in the practice purchase process. So when do you submit the letter of intent? Well, your typical sequence will go something like this. First, find a practice. Second, get some documents and some information on the practice. Third, do your analysis. And then fourth, this is where you submit the letter of intent. Okay, find, get in some info, do some analysis. After you've done some analysis, you're gonna submit that letter of intent. It's common for a buyer and seller to meet briefly before submitting a letter of intent, but not required. After the letter of intent is submitted is when you're gonna do intense due diligence, you're gonna look through patient charts, you're gonna see the practice, push the buttons on the chairs, open the cabinets, you're going to talk to banks and get financing approval. You're going to talk to and hire a, legal, uh, a lawyer, do all the legal documents, and close on the practice. So the letter of intent really sits at the beginning of the formal process of actually closing on the practice. Um, but it falls after you do some analysis. So pitfall number one to avoid is what I call the sneaky broker who moves the LOI in the process, all right? So there are brokers out there who will try to get you to submit a letter of intent before you do your analysis. And a lot of times it's phrased as, okay, I've given you, I've given you the information. You have the information on the practice. I can give you the rest of the information <laughs> after you submit this. Uh, sign this piece of paper and I'll get you all the tax returns, production reports, whatever you want. But in order to give you that stuff, you have to sign this letter of intent. So the natural question is, should you do it? Now, I'm titled this a pitfall, meaning kind of implying that I think this is a mistake. And it can be. It can be a, a mistake to sign a letter of intent before you actually see real practice financials, real practice production reports, square footage, number of employees, all of that type of stuff. Uh, but the, the true answer is that it really depends on how many practices you're looking at. So brokers who do this, uh, in my opinion, are not great to work with. However, that's the broker's fault. That is not necessarily the seller's problem or fault. It is not necessarily a reflection on the underlying practice. And I have helped a number of buyers close on practices like this where they've signed an LOI and then got practice financials and documents and everything else. Sometimes it's fine. 
Um, but the the operative principle at play here and why I call brokers that do this sneaky is that they're relying on the psychological principle of anchoring. Okay, and the anchoring principle in psychology is that whoever says the first number in any negotiation kind of owns the uh, the the first ground uh, and in every subsequent number used after that first number given will be compared to the first one, right? So uh, what they're doing is they're getting you to commit to signing your name to a number before you can actually tell whether or not that number is fair. So, you know, w- would I do this if I were you? Well, it totally depends. One, a lot of buyers will uh, tell me, well, that's okay, Brian. Um, I've got the solution. I'm going to go ahead and sign the letter of intent. Even though I haven't seen practice documents yet, I don't know if the price is fair. I don't know if this is really a practice that I'm very interested in. But worst case is if I find that I'm not that interested in this practice, I'll just change my offer. No big deal. A letter of intent is legally non-binding. So no big deal. I'll just tell the seller that um, now I'm going to offer them $50,000 less than my original offer. Well, you can do that. I wouldn't recommend it though. (laughs) Um, It can make sense in certain circumstances, but what that tells a seller, it tells a seller a few things. It says to a seller, hey, I've changed my mind. It it tells a seller, I'm kind of a flaky buyer. Or, you know, probably psychologically and emotionally is happening with a seller is is you're saying, yeah, never mind. I'm going to take $50,000 away from you. Or even perhaps even worse (laughs) is that there's, you know, there's something wrong with you or your practice. Now that I've seen your practice, I have a more negative opinion uh, of you in the practice or something in the practice. Um, And that just kills the goodwill, right? The whole value of a dental practice, uh, a, a majority of the value of a dental practice comes from the effective transfer of goodwill between a buyer and a seller. And so I have a real problem with, with brokers who try to get buyers to commit to a price before they see uh, the, the underlying practice financials because it can have such a de- um, negative effect on the overall negotiations and transfer of goodwill and everything else. Uh, yeah, I, I have a problem with the uh, the fact that they're trying to uh, secure a price before a buyer has uh, a chance to look at the financials. But more important in my mind is the potential negative effect it has between a buyer and a seller emotionally, psychologically, et cetera. Okay. So yes, sometimes as a buyer, you're going to have your back against the wall and you are going to need to decide if you're going to submit a letter of intent on a practice and perhaps your only option or a, a practice in an area you're looking where you're going to have to sign the letter of intent before you see financials. So th- the solution to this problem, by the way, is that frankly, all of this can be avoided if you just have multiple options. Easier said than done, I know. Um, so just go out and find a bunch of good practices for sale, <laughs> right? Work with good brokers. Find the dentists who are selling practices um, which I realize is um, it, it's worthy of a chuckle because it's certainly a lot harder to do than it is to say. Uh, but I do talk about how to do exactly this, how to the the absolute best way to find practices for sale. I created a video about the subject. Um, it is free. You can have it. Um, it's it's available. Um, all you need to do is text the word find f i n d find 
to 33777. So text the word FIND to 33777, and you'll get the video that talks about exactly how to have multiple options so that if somebody's trying tricky business, you can move on to the next option. Okay, let's talk about pitfall number two when you're submitting the LOI. Um, pitfall number two is less serious than the first pitfall, uh, but it can have an effect, and I, I like to mention this to buyers so they're aware, of situations where the broker gives you their copy of a letter of intent, okay? Um, while this is less serious, it can be hazardous uh, because the letter of intent um, has elements in there beyond the price that matter to both you and the seller. Um, the biggest thing that I see between seller-produced LOIs and LOIs that come from the buyer side, either the buyer's lawyer, buyer's accountant, someone like me, is the earnest money. A lot of sellers and seller's brokers will include earnest money as part of a letter of intent. And earnest money, in case we need a definition here, is cash that you either hand over to the broker or to the seller with some uh, loose strings attached that say, hey, I'm serious about your practice. I want to buy it. By the way, here's $5,000 to re reserve my spot. And if we close on the practice, that $5,000 gets applied to the purchase price. Um, problem I see with earnest money, uh, just to get very specific, is number one, it's not needed in most cases. In most transitions I'm involved with, first of all, we're using my LOI, and so we avoid this problem altogether. But the brokers, the bankers involved, the sellers know that there are serious parties at the table. So if you've taken the time to hire a good team, you've talked with bankers already, you've hired an accountant, you've got lawyers ready to go, um, sellers and their brokers will know that you're a serious buyer and they feel a lot less worried about having that earnest money involved. Is it a huge deal if you have earnest money involved? The only real problem, the, the only two problems I see about having earnest money involved is uh, number one, anytime someone has your money, I get nervous. Um, and brokers will swear, swear up and down all day, um, mostly accurately, by the way, that getting your money back won't be a problem, that you can get your money back at any time. It's just to you know show that you're serious. And um, almost exclusively in my experience, that is true. Um, but uh, the second piece uh, that makes me nervous about earnest money is just the, the having less cash on hand to show a bank. And enough buyers are tight on cash availability that handing someone else 5,000 of your dollars or $2,500, whatever the amount is, $5,000 is the most common number used, by the way, um, can have a negative effect on the, uh, the terms of bank loans offered, okay? Um, another potential problem of using a seller's LOI is a lot of times what I see is they are missing key negotiating elements Things like the asset allocation, the accounts receivable, timing of the deal. Sometimes the associate contract isn't included in the language. And um, standard broker response to that complaint of mine is, eh, what's the big deal? Like, we'll negotiate that later. Who cares? Um, really, we're just trying to agree on the price here. And, and my response is, yeah, price is important. Yeah, we want to know both parties are serious, but... There are other real big dollar figures involved in some of these things, like the accounts receivable and whether or not an associate contract is negotiated up front, asset allocation, some of those things. So my solution to pitfall number two is just use a good dental accountant on your transaction. 
if you use a good dental accountant, they're going to have an LOI that they use. Ask them. Ask them as part of the hiring process whether or not they have a letter of intent template that they use on deals and ask what it includes. Does it include earnest money? Does it include the asset allocation? What do you do about the accounts receivable? All things, by the way, we're going to talk about in the next episode. But in summary, in summary, when you sign the letter of intent is after you get financials, production details, and detailed information about the practice. The good brokers out there will provide all of that for you up front before you're ever expected to sign a letter of intent. Some sneaky brokers out there will try to get you to sign the LOI first. You have to make a decision at that point whether it's worth it to you to sign that letter of intent. Um, and a second decision you may need to make is whose LOI you're going to sign. Um, I've had brokers swear up and down to me uh, that had to be on their, their template. It has to be their version of the LOI. And, and they have these really good sounding reasons. And then I do my version anyway. And lo and behold, the deal goes through, through and everybody's happy. <laughs> so um, if you have questions about the timing of LOIs and the two pitfalls we talked about today or anything else, feel free. Reach out to me directly, brian at brianhanks.com, B-R-I-A-N at brianhanks, like tomhanks.com. And we'll continue talking about LOIs in episode 12. We're going to talk specifically about what to negotiate and what to ignore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Practice Purchased Podcast. For more information about Brian's best-selling book, How to Buy a Dental Practice, or about the Practice Purchased Blueprint course, visit brianhanks.com. Thank you.